The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate Leeds, postcode LS53AP. Check out PR Supplies on Facebook for all your home retail needs. Hello, welcome back to the Inside Ellen Road podcast. We took a break over the World Cup, uh, Graham took several in fact, uh, but we're back on the Leeds United trail once again with one final episode before 2022 is complete. Uh, I've got lots to cover, we won't be dwelling too much on all that's been and gone with the World Cup, but we've had mid-season trips to Spain to tell you all about, some new contracts, friendlies, competitive football, new formations and news on the 49ers front. Um, first things first though, back in the booth, the recording studio at Chateau Smith. Uh, how was your Christmas, Graham? Uh, yeah, it was good. It was busy. Um, I've been off, actually, off work from the uh, Sociedad game. Um, uh, Real Sociedad, should I say, game until the Manchester City game. And uh, yeah, it was quite nice to have a little bit of time over Christmas. Uh, so I didn't see the Monaco game. You'll have to fill me in very briefly on that. Um, didn't really have my head in the in the kind of Leeds United sphere for a little while which I sometimes find is uh, advantageous. And then obviously getting back to the games with Manchester City last night, uh, it felt like a very welcome return for Premier League football. Did it feel as though it was a particularly welcoming return for, for you as well? You know, just like welcoming you back. You know, there was the wins against Elche, the win against Real Sociedad. Um, but then, you know, as soon as Graham returns to to the press box, it was uh, it was back to business as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I was there. I was there for the win against Elche, so you can't try and call me some kind of scud. Well, and okay, was... yeah, you were there. You were over in Spain, so why don't we start with that? Have you got any tales to regale us with from your time in Spain at Oliver Nova? Um, strange place, Oliver Nova, uh, like a like a village or a town built um, essentially to service people wanting to go play. They got one of the golf courses um but they're not particularly luxurious golf courses i imagine that during the summer the place is rammed and the one pub like one bar in the town is absolutely heaving um it was only heaving once during our stay and that was for the one of the england games that took place while we were there but yeah strange kind of a place very very empty very dead as adam forshaw uh succinctly put it in the middle of nowhere um and that maybe that was by design you know, I, I partly think that Leeds United's late change in plans, you know, because they they did plan to go to America. They were going to go to San Francisco and uh, San Jose, maybe play a college team, maybe play a Mexican team. But then they decided that with the season going the way it was prior to Liverpool and Bournemouth, they felt that less travelling, more training would be advantageous. So the players had their time off truncated a little bit and the team travelled to Spain instead uh, and played against uh, Elche out there in double sessions most days um and uh and spent a week training with jesse marsh and then and then obviously came back to play those other two friendlies so a lot less traveling demands i would imagine as well that a trip out to the base of the 49ers would have entailed an awful lot of commercial um requirements you know there would have been a lot of interviews to be done there would have been a lot of appearances to be done they'd have had to go to 49ers you know levi stadium they'd probably have had to have met up with the 49ers or some of their personnel. I imagine the demands on the players and the staff would have been far greater than going away to the back end of beyond in, in Valencia 
and just getting your head down and, and training. And the focus was solely training. You know, they they trained, they went back to the hotel, they maybe played some padel or or I think there was one round of golf for a couple of players. Um, or they, they played cards or whatever they did in the rooms. And then, you know, they were in the gym or they're back on the training ground. And then it was dinner Then they had an evening and then they went to bed and the next day they got up and did it all again. So it was um, very much a kind of basic rudimentary setup. But um, but that was, I think, how they wanted it. That's, I think, how Jesse Marsh wanted it. He just wanted them focused on training. Yeah, so the, um, the, there was a video on that, that Leeds put out of uh, the the players doing sort of a pull-up challenge. Did you not get involved in that? Not fancy yourself against, I don't know, maybe Stuart Dallas or Adam Forshaw? Oh, I've got a, uh, I have a shoulder impingement that I'm dealing with a minute, so I would have had to politely decline an invite in any case. Um, yeah, pull-ups are really difficult. It's the kind of thing that you have to master over time, and I simply don't have the time to dedicate to uh, to pull-ups at this stage of my life, or the inclination. Um, th- there was talk of them recreating Jesse Marsh's famous MLS penalty shot, you know, the the halfway dribble um, as one of the challenges, but that never transpired. I would have I would have quite enjoyed that, I think, seeing the squad trying to recreate Jesse's dinked finish, um, the famous one. Um, what would you have done do? sort of a commentary on the on the touchlines, um, similar to, to the commentary of that clip from him? <laughs> Jesse Marsh! going for the goal and that's the win i don't feel there's a way to do that without sounding disrespectful yeah to to all of america or to jesse marsh um but it would have been interesting to see who who mastered it you know who had the chops to pull off that that finish of his Uh, what else do they do in terms of their challenges they had a quiz as well that apparently got ferociously competitive you know and had players screaming and, and falling out what you notice is that when they play rock, paper, scissors, or when they're playing, when they're in a rondo, or when they're taking shots at the end of training, they are incredibly, like almost childishly competitive. Um, and, and I asked Adam Forshaw about this. Do you, does, did he think that it, it's necessary to have that within you in order to get to where they are? And, and he felt that it probably is part of their makeup that they just want to win all the time. But you know, to to a almost silly degree, um, but that just seems to be how how footballers are. You know, they just they refuse to lose at, at anything. Um, but there were there were some moments of training that were that were interesting to watch from a kind of close up perspective. Rodrigo's penalty uh, technique um, was excellent. You know, he was drilling penalties. I, I watched him. He must have scored fifteen penalties in a row over the course of three four days training, and then. A, and as I remarked to everyone else that Rodrigo hadn't missed a penalty, promptly had one saved by Danny van den Heuvel. Um, and there were some others as well that impressed with the kind of the extras and the afters that they did. Sam Greenwood pinging in free kicks from all directions. Um, Darko JB begging van den Heuvel for just one more shot as Marcus Abad tried in vain to tear his goalkeeper away, um, saying things like, well, let's see if you go in goal then to face a thousand shots, how you feel. Because I think they just think that the goalkeepers just stand in there, dive about a bit, and should be fresh to face another 100 shots, um, which is obviously not the case. And then I think one of the highlights was probably speaking to Danny van den Heuvel, someone we probably wouldn't ordinarily have had the chance to speak to had Melier been there and had uh, Kleissen been there. But of course, those two were ill, one with glandular fever, one with a viral illness. And that meant that Rob Lairs and van den Heuvel and Harry Christie, who was out with the 21s, were the goalkeeping options for Marsh. 
So we got to speak to Van den Heuvel about his car crash in the summer, and I honestly don't think I've ever been as impressed with a player, young or old, in the way they articulated something so serious, something so terrifying, and just how, um, what's the word? How mature he was in his response to it. You know how they they gathered as a group who were in the crash to talk about how it affected them and to ensure that the driver was absolved of his guilt, because of course the, the guy driving their car was not to blame for the crash uh and he talked about how dark it felt and how scary it was for the the first week as he kind of waited to find out if he was going to be paralyzed or not um and now of course he's back playing football and just kind of the the journey that he went through as he talked us through the car crash and his recovery to the kind of the joy of being back on the field um it was fantastic it was a fantastic listen so um so that was a particular highlight for me yeah, no. Listening back to to the audio from that was um, was obviously. I mean, it was you could tell the emotion that was obviously in his voice, but also the the confidence with which he he tells the story now is very, very mature. Belies his his, his years. I mean, he's what nineteen, maybe mm. maybe twenty now, but he's um yeah still very young. Um, so fingers crossed that you know the second half of the season when he is back on the pitch in a competitive setting, um, probably for the for the twenty ones. Um, we can see him putting some some good performances, um, but it, on on the the contract side of things, uh, we've had two new contracts announced in the past uh, couple of days over the past week or so. Uh, that one being Pascal Stroik, who uh, signed a new long term deal until 2027, uh, and another one for uh, Diego Llorente, uh, who signed until 2026 as well. Um, I mean, what do you make of the the, the two deals, uh, Graham? Because you know, I think there was a lot of relief that that Stryker signed on for for an extended period of time. You know, Urente isn't starting as as frequently as he did during that first season when he was eventually fit. He's, that he's got a new contract. You know, some people maybe not thinking that he's that he's earned that, um, as opposed to to the decision makers at the club who feel as though it's best to to protect his value. Um, but I mean, he's going to be what 32, 33 by the time that that deal expires. Um, you know, just in general, Stroik and Urente. What what do you make of those those extensions? Uh, Stroik, a great bit of business. You know, I think he, for me, he best represents the future. Uh, it's a centre back for Leeds. Um, just a great prospect. Um, massive legs. You know, it, it didn't really strike me until he was stood just in front of us when we interviewed him in Spain, but he's got legs like tree trunks. Like he is a, a very, very big man. And it almost makes it more impressive that he's been playing left back with the dimensions that he has this season. But with his size and, and the physicality that that should lead to with experience um, and his technical ability on the ball, I, I think he's such a great prospect. He's already played 66 senior games for Leeds at centre back. And now he's added what another 16 at left back, something like that. Mm. And then a few so well in defensive midfield as well. Yeah, and, a, and and maybe maybe five, six, seven at defensive midfield. So he's well on his way to a hundred senior appearances, um, most of which, almost all of which, came in the Premier League uh, at a very young age. He's on the the verge of the the Holland squad. You know, he's on the on the long list for the World Cup. Um, big guy, aerial presence that I feel like you know we spoke about previously on the podcast. We want to see a bit more of that, and of course we did against Manchester City. Um, and he scored that screamer as well, didn't he? Uh, against Real Sociedad, I just think it's good business to have him to have him protected as an asset, um, because if he continues to go the way he is, then there is going to be interest from from other places, and you just want to protect yourself. Um, strikes me as a very grounded individual. What I really like about him is how 
private he is. Not not in the sense that he's in any way uh, unfriendly or cold or he, he is quiet, but more because he's just fairly unassuming and a bit shy. But when he got married, he, he didn't bother announcing it on social media, which kind of betrays every modern convention. <laughs> he uh, uh, His wife fell pregnant and a lot of the club didn't realize that she was pregnant until such a time as the baby arrived. And then he kind of announced it in the group chat. Um, he said that had people asked, had the conversation swung that way in the dressing room, then he would have had no problem talking about it, but he just doesn't feel the need to shout the odds. Um, and that struck me as what that might come in quite useful for a player um, over the course of his career. You know, if he keeps his circle small and he keeps kind of keeps his own counsel and just doesn't feel the need to broadcast everything on social media, I almost think that he could lead a, a, a counter revolution to the, the kind of, some of the stuff we see on social media when it comes to football um maybe he maybe he just leads a double life that he's just very keen to to you know because let's be honest footballers don't train nine to five like the average you know the average office worker you know what i mean they've probably got the the, the rest of the afternoons to to get up to whatever they fancy it's not just golf no no it's probably not just golf um yeah the secret life of pascal stroik uh there's probably some fan fiction to be written there um not by the likes of you and i I dread to think, actually, given the content of some of the, the DMs I had in the Q&A this afternoon, I really dread to think what Leeds United fan fiction would look like. It would be, um, like, yes. be a comic strip of it, wouldn't it? Yeah, I yeah. Feel like um, somebody who would be, you could replicate in sort of a comic strip style, Pascal, I think. Yeah. Um, good business, getting Pascal on a longer deal. It's less straightforward with Diego Llorente. It's, it's a lot more surprising that they... Mm -hmm tied Urante to a longer deal. Now, the club's rationale is that, firstly, when it was being discussed, they felt he was going to the World Cup or he had a very good chance of going to the World Cup with Spain. That didn't happen. And I guess if he's going to the World Cup and he plays really well, then his value might go up. There might even be interest from Spain. You don't know. But he didn't go to the World Cup. And it was after that that Leeds United then signed the the longer contract with him they still seem to feel like the price of center backs is going to go through the roof and so they want to protect the value of those that they've got that that still retain some resale value and that, and they obviously think that urante is one of those he's a player that it's very difficult to to say that he's really made a name for himself at leeds because he's had little spells where he's played well and he's kind of showcased that. I think what he's really got in his locker is that disguised pass, you know, into the feet of strikers, you know, where he kind of maybe no look pass or, or a surprise direction of a pass. Um, that's what made him stand out at first at Leeds United. That and his kind of um, his relish for a physical one on one, um, which maybe in time has come to be viewed a little differently to how it was. At first, it looked like, oh, this guy's going to be fine. And, in England because he, he loves a, a 1v1, he loves a tussle, but actually that's led to quite a few dangerous situations that him getting so tight and maybe getting turned or maybe giving away a file. Um, his form has just been a little patchy and there's been times when you think it's not really working out for him or his confidence isn't there or he's got a rick in him. And at the minute, does he play? You know, Does he start if Cooper's fit, if Robin Cock is fit, if Pascal Stroik is fit and if Leeds 
have an, a another at left back. We'll come on to that. Um, I don't know that he does. Now you can't just have eleven players. You have to have a squad. So I, I, I see the sense in having a centre back around. I just don't know if such a long term deal makes great sense for Leeds. It's definitely a harder one to understand and fathom than Pascal Stroik's. Yeah, Stroik's seemed very straightforward in terms of, you know, he's a young player for, for starters. He's somebody who you definitely want to tie down, whereas Llorente is a little bit older, maybe in sort of those peak peak years right now. And if he's not playing right now, what is there to suggest that he's going to be able to oust? Uh, certainly recently, what has there been to suggest that he, he'll be able to oust Cooper, who is obviously a club captain, and Robin Cock, who... Marsh, by Marsh's own admission, uh, he, he believes he's playing the best football of his career um, at the moment. So, um, I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see how that one pans out. I mean, if Leeds end up recouping a fee for, for Llorente in the summer or, you know, in summers down the line, then potentially it looks as though it's a smart piece of business because essentially all that contract has done is protected his value. Um, but, yeah, for... Uh, for the time being, it's it's one which I think raised a, a few eyebrows, uh, to say the least. Um, you, you mentioned there about centre-backs and left-backs, and I suppose with January round the corner, um, we may as well discuss what, what's been happening. Obviously, we've had um, links to the likes of Kai Wagner at Philadelphia Union, uh, Maxi Vober, who uh, plays for Red Bull Salzburg, um, both of those left-backs. Um, you know what is the what is the latest on the on the transfer front as as far as you read it, Graham? Um, Vober is one that they're on with, um, so there's no there's no cast iron guarantee that it's going to happen. But they Leeds have shown uh, an ability, shall we say, to get players out of Salzburg for um, you know for fees that I think Leeds have felt have been fair, and I think this is another player they feel they can get for a reasonable price. Um, maybe in, in the region of 10, 12 million. Um, he's captain at Salzburg, so he's got leadership about him. He's quite a good age. He can play left-back and he can play left-sided centre-back. And that's where the kind of confusion arose a little bit, people thinking, well, we don't need a centre-back because we've got Cooper and Stroik there. But I guess the rationale is that Cooper's 31. He can't play every game in a season because he does pick up niggles. You'd have Stroik to play there or you'd have Vobert to play there. And the other could play left back. Um, I think. I think if if they've got to come down on the on a side of who is the better left back. If this is the guy they go for, if he's the better left back than Stroik, then he plays left back, and Stroik would be contending for a start with Cooper, I guess. Um, and then you've got Junior Firpo, who it, it doesn't seem there's any desire to move him on in January. It sounds like he's still very much part of the plans, so he'll provide cover at, at left back. I certainly don't see Firpo getting in ahead of Stroik at the minute, and if they sign. Vober, Vober's not coming in to play second fiddle to Firpo, is he? Or, or third fiddle to 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 Firpo and Strike. So I think Firpo will have it all to do to get his minutes in the second half of the season. Um, but they have looked at a number of international left-backs. Um, Kai Wagner's a player that they've liked, and the links are natural and obvious. Um, so he's an option. But I think Vober is ahead of him in the list, and uh, we'll have to wait and see if they can get that one over the line. But you have to think with Jesse Marsh being here, with Aronson having come from Salzburg, with Christensen having come from Salzburg, that there's already a, a well-beaten, well-trodden path for Vober to go down that may well that may well grease the wheels for this one. Um, but they certainly seem to think that they're in with a very good chance. Um, there is probably going to be a little bit of competition, particularly now that the deal is out in the open. 
they haven't quite managed to pull off a, a Liverpool Gakpo with this one, um, which is what every club would aspire to. You know, we could just talk about that for a second. To have a player still being linked with Manchester United at 10 a.m. in the morning, and then for that evening, it finally to emerge that Liverpool are in significant talks, practically there to sign him, is a remarkable feat in this day and age. And, and they did it as well. Was it was it uh, Nunez they did it with as well? Or is it Diaz? It yes. was Diaz, wasn't I think it? Nunez was one of those. But I think the one that always springs to mind as well is the Danny Ings to Villa transfer. That one yeah. kind of, it was Villa who just literally broke it. They went, yeah, here he is. Um, yeah. uh, to do that when everyone is so keen to to get their side of it out there, you know, selling clubs want everyone to know that they've got a really good price. Um, buying clubs want everyone to know that they've got a shiny new player coming in and they've got ambition in the transfer market. Agents want everyone to know that there's big interest in their players and, and lots of clubs are after them. Um, some sporting directors and, and some owners probably like being talked about, you know, having their club talked about by the big journalists in Europe. So there's a, there's a lot of motivation out there for people to talk and be able to spill the beans. So to manage to keep a sign-in, especially one like Gakpo, who's had such a fine season so far for club and country, it's exciting news no matter who signs him. You know, no, no matter which club you are, he's still a very big and exciting signing. So Liverpool managing to keep that one under wraps is uh, is incredibly impressive. Um, and of course, it finally brings to an end I think I don't think there were any lingering hopes from a Leeds United point of view. I think they they died ultimately in the last week of the transfer window, but it at least ends the the Gakpo Leeds United story that has rumbled on simply because Gakpo and PSV uh, continued to um, pour icy cold water on all the kind of the talk about how close Leeds came in the summer. Um, so the other thing Leeds United need to do now is. Uh, sign a striker other than getting in that left back they need to sign a striker and that's what they're on with as well um a name that people will have seen is uh pedraza at, uh, he's at villarreal isn't he and um he has been at leeds united before played what, 16 games something like that i'm told he's not topping any lists that's not one that, that leads are particularly chasing at the minute and beyond that there's not a lot of names out there so maybe just maybe leeds united will be able to do a little bit in the shadows um, and announce one nice and early in the January transfer window. That would be the ideal because the earlier you That'd get be them good, in, wouldn't it? To get it, it would be really early. good because the earlier they're in, then the, the more football they're going to play for you, and the more they'll be up to speed. Um, if it takes to the end of the transfer window, so be it. But I think uh, Victor Orda's ideal would be to have his men done nice and early. Um, that's what they tried to do in the summer. They tried to get bo the the bodies they were signing done quickly, um, and they managed it in a, in a few instances. So. Um, not just warm bodies, um, Angus Kerr no. will have you know. Not just no. warm bodies. Imagine telling Rasmus Christensen that he was a warm body, uh, no more than a warm body. <laughs> the most ice um, cool, yeah. He'd do um, to you what he did to Jack Grealish uh, on several we, occasions. I was thinking night. this, actually. He, he did reasonably well against Wilfred Zaha as well. Zaha and Grealish are both prolific at, at winning fouls, and yet Rasmus Christensen's managed to, certainly in that first half anyway, against uh, Manchester City, he's managed to, to shackle them a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, whether there's anything, any material substance to that or whether it's just a, a quirk of an observation, then who knows? But um, I don't know. I think with, just on Rasmus very quickly, I think he's, he's he's adapting a little bit better than he was uh, at the beginning of his time. 
Um, so, you know, he used to say that these these players coming in from Salzburg, um, yeah, they might need a little bedding in period. Um, I mean, Aronson hasn't, to be honest, um, but um, that it might not be the worst worst transfer ploy in the world. I know there is definitely some, um, I don't know what you'd call it, um, hesitation that signing players from Austria and signing players en masse from Austria is maybe not prudent. But then again, what Jesse Marsh was saying last night about you know the difficulty in um, in competing in this in this league uh, financially anyway um, is that you know you got you're always going to have to find you know these 10, 15 million pound players that ultimately can be thirty million pound players and and gradually scaling up. So um, I mean that would well, be at, the idea. Rafinha. You know, R- Rafinha is the yeah he's the he's prototype, the isn't he? Yeah, he's the blueprint. If you can find your player before. You know, before PSG go for them, you know, before they're ready for a Barcelona, before they're ready for a Real Madrid, you can find those players in Europe and get them for under twenty million, mm. um, and then have them play for you brilliantly for a season or two, and then make your money on them. Then it's not a bad model. It's not a romantic model because the romance is in those players staying to become heroes and playing for one club. That's not really how things go for these big talents. Um, Simply because they can go and make multi millions elsewhere and compete for for trophies and compete in Europe, but um, yeah, I think if you wanted to characterise where Leeds United need to go, it's down the Rafinha line uh, every time because they don't have the cash to go up against Liverpool or Manchester City or even perhaps Newcastle now, um, Chelsea, Manchester United clubs like that. So they do need to box clever, and uh, and if if you can find your players in Austria, if you can find them all at Salzburg, and they make you better, then then it's fine. It doesn't matter where they come from; they just have to make you better. I mean, Salzburg do have a record when it comes to, to signing young players and, and producing them. So it's not it's, you know it's not a it's not a bad idea to to go and farm there. Um, I think just some people would m- perhaps prefer a little bit of variety but we'll have to wait and see what they do um we're at a bit of a fork in the road in our podcast here because talking about sort of money and transfers and who's going to be funding what so that leads me down so maybe perhaps the the 49ers the radrizani path you've also just touched on the romantic element and the romanticism which does make me want to discuss uh the serenading of calvin phillips last night against manchester city um so because well, let's, talk, let's talk. Man, let's talk. Man, Manchester City, because you're you're yeah, a, let's talk Man City. Okay, you're an old romantic at heart, and we're both all about the football and not not at all about the business. Um, yeah, Manchester City, not a game to get angry about, you know, unless you got pumped, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, nil. Um, I think eleven nil. I think people could be justified getting angry at that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. If they pump you eleven nil, then that's the time to get the pitchforks out. But Leeds United didn't get pumped. And you have to preface all of this with Haaland missed a couple of sitters. Grealish missed three, put three over the bar. Um, Melier made a few saves. It could have been a horrible scoreline, but it also could have been 3-2 with a few minutes left because Joe Gellhardt had that little toe poke, that little flick that just went the wrong side. And Leeds did have a moment or two. Um and they got a goal. You know, I thought the I thought the response to being three 0 down was very good from Leeds. I thought they they went after it a bit more. And as Jesse Marsh said last night, you almost almost wish they'd done that from the start. You know, they'd been a bit braver from the start. He said that he felt they were nervy in possession and that they rushed on occasions when Manchester City weren't even 
pressing them that intently. Um, my question would be why? Why were they so nervous? Was it the long break? Was it Manchester City? Was it the kind of the folklore that now surrounds Haaland and thinking, gosh, if we give the ball away, this guy's going to have it in the back of the net. I guess it doesn't help that after 40 seconds, he's running clean through on your goalkeeper. Um, that's never going to... 40 just... seconds into the second half, you're, you're getting the ball nicked off your toe by Jack Grealish to then square yeah. it to him. But yeah, um, That's not going to help anyone settle into a game or into the rhythm of a game. But I don't think I don't think it was one to be ashamed of last night, um, nor was it particularly one to be enthralled with. You know, It wasn't the kind of defeat that makes you think Leeds are going to be absolutely fine this season because there were issues to look at in the game. The, you're the, you're the disagreeing wide... with Ali McCoy's there. He says they're going to be absolutely... He literally said those words, absolutely fine. So are you, <laughs> are you going against your hero here? We'll have to we'll have to edit that bit out because obviously I can't go on record against uh, against my all-time hero. Um, no, I, I don't think that performance on its own is enough to say Leeds will be fine because Leeds have been good against bigger teams and played well against the best teams. You know, Chelsea played really well second half against Arsenal. They beat Liverpool, um, scored three goals at Spurs. But there have been games when they haven't been anywhere near as good against teams that they really should be competing with and beating. So for me, it's like I said in my verdict on last night's game, they're, they're neither Christmas nor New Year. They're that limbo. They're, they're, they're neither one nor the other. We don't know. Anyone who, anyone who says, other than Ali McCoy, anyone who says definitively that they know what's going to happen to Leeds United this season, I think is a liar. Because I just don't think you can tell at this stage. We don't know what effect the January transfer market's going to have. Um, we don't know if they're going to get better over time because they're still a relatively new team. Um, we just don't know yet. But there's enough uncertainty that that they're still among those teams that could go down or they could end up in mid-table comfort. Um, it, it's very much on the fence in the balance at the minute. So on to Calvin Phillips then. And uh, he was obviously serenaded last night by the cop, by the South Stand, by just about everybody inside Ellen Road on that that return um, back onto to home turf. Uh, didn't obviously get onto the pitch. Um, and uh, Pep Guardiola then said in jest in his post-match press conference that he had a perfect body. Did he, did he say so sexy as well? Did, did I imagine that? He whispered so sexy. Something, yeah. In, in a really... Because sometimes he struggles a little bit to project his voice. I don't know if he does if it's an affectation, but um, yeah, in a kind of like cracked, hoarse, creepy whisper, he said, "So sexy," and uh, wasn't a wasn't the greatest moment uh, for press conferences at Leeds United, in my mind. Um, interesting night for Calvin. You know, coming back, I wonder if there was part of him that that wandered a little bit what his reception might be like, how he'd be received, you know, if he'd take a bit of flack, you know, according to some on Twitter, he's dead to them, or at least he was dead to them as soon as he left the club. It is, and it's ridiculous, really, because the the guy, um, he helped you get promoted to the Premier League, and he's a Leeds United fan through and through, and he was offered financial security for not only for him and his entire family, but for the next generation, and possibly even the one to come. So, um and he Park was going to go, out, isn't it? And he was going to go and train and play with the, you know some of the best footballers in the world under a man many believe is the best coach in the world. So there were a lot of reasons to go, um, and I imagine it was still uh, something he had to give a lot of thought to. So I wonder if in the back of his mind he maybe thought, you know, well I get a bit of stick here, um, but the only stick he really got was some 
mild mannered body shaming um that was more in jest than than the, than the body shaming that he got in a press conference from his his coach um who revealed that he came back from World Cup duty too heavy to train or play um now that kind of invokes an image that isn't really true to life what pep means by that he's come back outside the weight limits set you know this is the weight you need to be at um they also had them you know they had to weigh in every day at leeds and calvin did come back from the euros heavier than that weight limit um because england training is obviously different you know tournament life is obviously different to when you're with your club and he had a very short break after the euros as well 11 11 days or something like that where there was maybe a bit of relaxation and maybe a little largesse but um he's not come back 18 stone you know and unable to run 100 yards he's come back a little bit over or maybe a lot over the the weight limit that is set by city's nutritionists and sports science guys but he's obviously very very quickly lost that weight and returned to some kind of sporting competitive shape because he was on the bench last night for city and sent out to warm up and all of that um so it, it wasn't really a serious issue it was just one that was always going to attract a lot of attention and it was just perfect fodder for Leeds fans last night to give one of their own a bit of good natured, good natured joshing, which he took with a massive smile on his face, you know. And um, from what I'm told, his cheeks was... out at one point, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as we from were jogging what... down the touchline, you're you're too fat to play for Leeds. Um, yeah, what was was he, almost he as good as wants. yeah which was almost as good as the one directed at Erling Haaland after he missed a shot, you know, that suggested he wasn't of the right calibre to play football for Leeds United. Um, and I believe that Phillips received a bit of good-natured stick from his ex-teammates in the tunnel as well to along, along similar lines. Um, but he did get the reception that I think he was due. You know, he was mm. applauded. He, they sang his song once, which is just about right, really. You don't, you don't want to overdo it because you want to... What I do like is when a club maybe and fans celebrate an ex-player and then instantly sing about one of their current players um and no sooner had they sang about phillips when matthias click's song started to ring around ellen road because he too was warming up and preparing to come on um but yeah I, I think it was probably quite a nice return for him it would have been nicer had he got on the pitch phillips but um just you know part of a lot of appreciation going on last night between the two sides and the two clubs and sets of players and old friends that um, was maybe a bit rich for some people's blood, but um, these people are human beings that have formed relationships with people at previous clubs. Um, they form friendships. You're not really going to hide that from the camera, you know, just because fans of your current club won't like it that much. Um, maybe you could be a little less effusive when you've just lost. Um, but if you're only, if you're only doing that to placate people on Twitter, then, you know, Thin end of the wedge, isn't it? Mm. I mean, just for the uh, for the interest of the listener, Ebenezer Smith here was saying that there was too much hugging for his for his liking, um, which gives you an in insight into what Christmas must have been like at his household. Um, <laughs> you know, a ban, a total ban on PDA. Um, certainly, if, if, if it's in a competitive environment. Um, if you've just lost, if you've just lost a game of Junior Cluedo, you should not be high fiving your siblings and and grinning ear to ear and hugging. Uh, congratulate operations is a serious business i want you to go and think about what you can improve and get ready for the next game um it's pretty simple I, you know, it's not a complicated way to live is it 
you know, bring bring some clarity to the next game of Trivial Pursuit, and you know what, <laughs> we'll, we'll know that we'll know the direction that we're trying to push this thing. Work um, on your connections for Connect Four. I, absolutely. Um, should we go on to a little bit of 49ers chat, or do you want to save that for for next week? I think we probably no, I should think, discuss I think you can do, a, a I think bit of Rodgers on his interview. Although, when that interview took place, a bit of doubt cast on that, maybe? A little, little bit of, um, yeah, a little bit of a question mark over when that actually took place. Would, I don't know, would we hold it? I don't think we'd ever hold an interview for, for months before using it, but um, perhaps yeah. there was some kind of, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of agreement in place that the interview could take place then, but be run, you know, when football was about to return, when, when, when all eyes were going to be back on club football um, and when January was just around the window. We don't know. Um, but that's what Jesse Marsh said. He said that Rogers only told him the interview was done months ago and um, and only released, you know, this week. And it becomes a talking point. But nothing really, nothing really has changed with the situation with Leeds. The 49ers got into this with a view to taking over permanently. As far as we know, they're still all guns blazing for a full takeover. They've been getting the finance in place. That they're not going to take over, to my mind, in January. Um, they're not going to complete on a takeover mid-season, mostly because there's the the price of the club is in a state of flux. Because if they go down in the summer, the price of the club plummets. If they stay up, then the price stays as it is, or maybe even goes up a little bit because they're unlocking more of that Premier League money. Um, so I don't see any takeover being completed until Leeds United's destination is known. And I would also ask, are the 49ers intent on a full takeover this summer, even if Leeds United go down? Um, perhaps perhaps they are. Perhaps they, you know, this is them. Their, their, mind, their course is set. Um, but to me, it's always seemed like they got into this based on Andrea Radrazani's projection and ambition that Leeds United would be a Premier League club. Yes, they got in on the ground floor when Leeds were a championship side, but they only really dipped their toe in the water, didn't they? Um, and it was when Leeds were a Premier League side that they really started to throw their weight in there and up their stick. So it looks to me like they want to own a Premier League club. I think it would maybe, it would maybe not, but it would maybe test their resolve if Leeds were to become a championship club. Um, I would even wonder if if Leeds went down, if Radrazani would stay on um, as owner and have another crack at, at getting out the championship, because the you know the finances involved in that you know recruitment and, and as such they're nowhere near as severe are they as they are for a, for a Premier League club. Um, and there aren't many Bielsa's that you can go and persuade to uh, to manage the club this time around. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it would, it'll be all very very interesting. Of course, that's worst case scenario, and nobody wants to see it come to that. Um, but a lot of this, you know, Rajasani talking about the club needs deeper resources, you know, to go further. It's all just very, it's just common sense, isn't it? I think a lot of people are equating it with the, the, the right, the here and now and the transfer market and thinking that he's saying for Leeds United to, to get the players they need in January and to stay up, they need more investment. I think what he's talking about is the future and mm -hmm. for Leeds United to, to progress from a team who, starts the season worrying about relegation to a team who starts the season looking at maybe a Europa League place as a, an absolute best case scenario. They need bigger resources, you know, and they need to be a richer club. And that much is, it's not new news to anyone. Um, and nor is it really a stick to beat him with. You know, <laughs> I always find it really funny in football when people criticize a rich man for not being rich enough. You know, he, he's, he, he was, rich enough to acquire the club 
at a time when, let's be honest, lots of people could have tried to acquire Leeds and gone in a very different direction and Leeds would not be in the Premier League right now. Had Leeds United stayed under that regime, goodness knows where they'd be at this point. So he put his hand in his pocket. He took a, a calculated uh, risk, I suppose, a business decision to buy Leeds United and return them to the Premier League, You know, which is what he said he wanted to do. He, he talked of European football as well. I think that was always more of a dream than a, than a goal. Um, he might say I think he now realises that that might have been a bit ambitious now bit, that he's well, probably the, a, yeah. the reality probably, of the, the Premier League. Probably a bit hasty um, when he said it the first time. But um, but yeah, it's not it's it's not a stick to beat a man with that he's not got the reserves to go up against a petro state, you know, to go toe for toe with billionaires um, in the Premier League and to and to match them for spending and investment and funding. Um, you, you, basically, unless you get taken over by a state at this point, you're not really going to compete or a, a crazy billionaire who doesn't mind throwing his wealth away. You're not really going to be in the same league, in the same pond as those clubs are, that are owned by those people. So people thinking that, you know, Rajasani needs to go now so the 49ers can come in and, and splash the cash in January. I'm not sure that that's how the next era will be either. I don't think that the 49ers are going to be the ownership that goes toe-to-toe with Manchester City or with Chelsea or or you know Newcastle United um I'm not sure that they will be that that ownership model I think it will be I don't know that it will be more of the same but I think the spending will be um measured and I think it, I think it would be sensible spending rather than exciting exotic you know 200 million pound summers spending yeah I I think I think you're right in, in saying so I think it'll also depend on on the personnel on who's making those decisions on which players to bring in as well um and as as you said in your column you know it's 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 very much like that limbo period between Christmas and New Year everything is up in the air um and while there is that bit of uncertainty um that's why we uh, at the YEP towers we did get you to do your Q&A today open up your DMs and um yeah I mean how many how many DMs do you think you got in total it was more than 200, I would say. Wow, that is very popular. Um, and it took a long time to scroll through them. And there are, it, it's a quirk of these Q&As that so many of them revolve around violence and physical combat and individual duels between known personalities. There is almost always some variation of, would you rather fight uh, one melee-sized Nyonto or, or 10 Nyonto-sized melee's? Um, you know who of the who of the Leeds United squad could how many Nyontos would it take to stop a marauding Berardi? Um, who would win in a bare knuckle contest out of the Leeds squad? There is a there is a definite problem in the Leeds United <laughs> fan base with a fixation with violence and uh, and physically besting one another. Um, which was the, the one the the violent question which you did answer in the Q and A? It, that was in members of the press pack. That would who who would win in a dust up between Phil Hay and Adam Pope? Um, now they would never ever come to blows. I, I I've seen and heard both of them issue withering retorts um, that that you know verbal put downs um, to one another. Uh, really, some really quite nasty bitter stuff actually. They're both horrible men, but 
but I, I could never see them actually coming to physical blows. And it's, it, people have accused me of sitting on the fence on this one by saying that, you know, if Popey got his jab working, because he's, he's a rangy guy, big guy, big hands, long arms. He could keep Phil at bay. But Phil does kickboxing. You know, not a lot of people know that. And uh, and I wonder if Phil might be able to produce like a roundhouse kick to Popey's head. And of course, I think he might have a slightly better engine than Popey because Popey's a little more mature in, in age. Um, I just can't believe that this is how we end up spending our time on a this is, quite, this is literally part of a part of your employment contract is you have to discuss <laughs> whether people in the similar similar walks of life and similar jobs would physically best one another essentially as, as you said just then so we haven't had a definitive answer and you didn't you did skirt around it in the actual q a which is available on the, the yep website if you want to go and have a have a read of all the questions <laughs> um i'm buying you some time here but who's gonna who's gonna beat the other one uh, i think i think technique beats um beats physicality so i think i think phil uh you're going phil i'm going yeah. popey i think popey could kill a man with his bare hands or a bear or are you, some, see, are you basing that on his, his physical attributes or his inner rage his demons uh a, a combination of the two <laughs> i think you, you put those two together and it's it, it's a it's a, a quite lethal concoction my favorite question was if joe donahue was a worm would you still love him <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know. What, I don't know which therapist to recommend. The one that I, I would uh, like to seek out, or the one that um, that clearly <laughs> needs to to see whoever thinks about me as a worm in their spare time. <laughs> Great question, though. Fantastic I question. Been, what did you I say been, out of interest? Uh, I didn't respond to that one. Um, that, mm. uh, I didn't. I didn't want to open. I didn't want to open that box. To be honest, oh, open, you open literally up the had a can of worms right there. Yeah, I, 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 I left the worms. Can of worms. I left the worms in the can. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, some, some I people are some people are, worm. yeah, some people are the people that you you smile and nod at and you walk on and and you let them you know you, you let them crack on uh, and I think that person can stay in that category, like like Ned Ryerson on uh, Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um. So in terms of the the Q and A, I I know you've answered several already, but there are some bonus ones which I do want to ask you, um, because. I think it's only fair that some people who didn't get theirs asked, uh, they do get uh, a little little response. So we have one here from uh, Ash LUFC. Um, oh, crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, who, who asks, I've got a very curious question. And I only think an expert like yourself knows the answer. Is it possible to see someone's tears underwater? Uh, no. No, okay. A question from me: If you're completely submerged underwater, are you wet? Are you or or are you dry? If you're completely submerged underwater, completely every single fibre of being is under the water. You're it's wet. Like, you know, when, I mean, it might not have been like this for you for for a while, but you know when you're underwater in a swimming pool and you put your hand through, you just run your hand through your long David Ginola like hair. It feels dry, doesn't it? It doesn't feel wet. It's only when you come back up into a different state, i.e., air. The... That's because your hand is. See this, yeah. I think this is one of those that tries that that makes you think that you're missing something. But I was at Calypso Cove, uh, Barnsley Metrodome last week, running my hand through my hair under the water, and yeah, when you're under the water, you are wet because the, you are in. You're literally in water. Your state is wet. It has to be. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Um, and there was one that somebody, uh, somebody Helder the Helder Costa Goat, 
Uh, and he did ask, he has asked four over an extended period of time. Um, <laughs> only three of them are appropriate to, to repeat. Um, so we won't, we won't ask the one that was asked on July 2nd. Um, but uh, it was, the, the one that gave me the biggest chuckle was, if you had the choice of Leeds winning the league and then winning the Champions League the following season, but you had to amputate all of your limbs with a washing line, would you do it? You, I love the, the, the specificity there of it has to be a washing line. Yeah, you forget that I'm not a Leeds United supporter by birth. I'm just someone who likes to see Leeds United do well because it, it bodes well for my employment. Um, think so, about the joy that it would bring to so many people. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm still going to say self before side every time on this one. Self uh, before side, okay. Um, and and this one as well. This one's a, a fun one. If you had to choose between Gatano Barardi or Pontus Janssen, who would you pick to make you a Sunday dinner? Uh, I'd go with Barardi because although he was a man of uh, passion and uh, flashes of red mist, I also think he's a man of culture. Uh, and I I would imagine that he could put together something very decent in the... Um, in the kitchen and Pontus. Yeah. I, I don't know if Pontus would have, would have the skill. Um, the, yeah, the, the I temperament, go... I think, I think he'd probably get frustrated that his roasties weren't turning out the way that he wants. And he basically, I think he'd probably there'd be, a, there'd be a lot of it for show as well. Like it would probably look quite good, but I, but I don't, I, but I don't know if, if it would need to look that good when you know, compared with how it would taste. So um, I'd definitely go with Berardi more a man of, more man of substance, I would say. Okay, and we've got one final one from LUFC Greg N11, which broke the rules by um, he, he replied to your tweet asking for um, for questions in your DMs, um, which should be a disqualification, but we let this one off. Um, what do you think we look like? I presume he means humans, not Leeds fans, uh, in a billion years. <laughs> uh, tiny, tiny particles floating in space. There's no way that this 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 species has not destroyed the planet by then. Not a chance. Well, certainly if Elon Musk gets his way. Um, that is just about uh, time that we've got on this episode of the Inside Ellen Road podcast. Um, Graeme, thank you for joining me. We'll be back again next week in the new year. I um, hope you all had a, a very nice Christmas and, and a nice relaxing new year in Newcastle uh, is what myself and, and Graeme will be having um, on New Year's Eve. Um, I wonder what uh, we could get up to there uh, after I don't know hopefully an entertaining game hope football's the winner um, and Graham any parting comments about uh, what is it Saturday's game against Newcastle uh, no tricky one very tricky one um, team in, in unbelievable form on the up club with a huge amount of momentum um, atmosphere will be superb I would suggest uh, terrible terrible scheduling for this one um, what's my prediction? I'm going to go, I think it'll be Newcastle United 2, Leeds United 1, or a 2-2 two, two draw, but only but only one of those two scenarios. Okay, uh, I'm going to abstain on my prediction uh, for this particular game. Um, Check in. But, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch up after that game in the new year. But uh, stay safe, take care, and bye for now. Cheers for listening. The 
The Inside Allen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate in Leeds. PR Supplies, everything for the home.